3: Hello and welcome once again to the Podcast. I am your, your host, Gary Hill. And, uh, yeah, something happened along one episode's away where I had to lose Dan. I don't want to get into it because it's not, not, nothing personal, of course. It's just uh something that had to happen. And, uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to miss him because I thought we meshed well in the, the one episode that we did. But, uh, with me tonight is, uh, his, uh, replacement, I guess you, you would call it, his, uh, some of you know and love, and I love. Uh, she's a member of Skeleton Crew, uh, Evil Episodes. She is the founder and then leader of the Like and It podcast, and uh, also member of Devour the podcast. But listening out, let me know, girl. It's the lovely Jamie Jenkins. How you doing, girl?
4: I'm doing well. Thanks, Gary. Uh, well, there's also Direct to Video, yes. which is the live show that I do, and... I don't know. I feel, like I, might, I feel like I might be leaving something out. Um, and this. Yeah, and this
3: now, yes. This. I'm so glad <laughs> to have you.
4: Well, thank you so much. I thought it was very sweet of you to make the offer. And uh, I always enjoy talking to you. And plus, this show does all sorts of different things. You know, we're allowed to play in whatever genre we wish. And so I think that... That open-endedness will be a lot of
3: fun. I agree. Get to play with uh, different show ideas and stuff, and I'm, I'm, I'm expecting some real wild cards out of you as far as show ideas go. You know, it, it'll, it'll come to inspire you in the strangest places, and you just uh, you write these things down, and it, <laughs> it could it be. I love being inspired in the strangest oh, places. Oh, that's good stuff, see? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll ask you. Um, Anything of note that you watched that lately that has been good? Uh, let me know now. Anything good you've watched lately?
4: Hmm. What have I watched lately? I have been watching a lot of stuff for – well, because three things I watched for this show. Um, and then I watched most recently El Gringo for the show that I'm doing later on, the direct-to-video connoisseur show. That's what we're going to be talking about there, the one with Scott Atkins and – Later, did you? No, see that? I want to now, though. <laughs> it's, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah. Oh man, it got a little better toward the end, but it just—it was crazy in the beginning because it was—he has a lot of style that he's trying to shove down your throat. So there's a lot of like, like, um, I don't know. It's like he's borrowing heavily from Tarantino and from um, oh, what's the what's oh, the guy that's smoking t- t- oh shoot? I can't think of it. It's the, the uh, uh, Richie, oh. Guy Richie. Um, and, uh, so it's just, you know, like title cards fly up on the screen every time a new character is introduced. And then there's like quick cuts and, and it, I don't know, it was just really annoying. Like I wanted to punch it in the face and the Western, or what? then it, it got, well, no, it's, it's, Modern day, but it um, Scott Adkins goes to Mexico and he's on his way to Acapulco after having stolen a shit ton of money, and he gets trapped in this little town. and The only way out of this town is every day there's a bus that leaves at two o'clock in the afternoon, but he keeps missing the bus, and he just got like all these people after him, and and it's very actiony. There are you know there's a lot of action, and some of it's pretty good. But the thing is, I like Scott Atkins when he does martial arts and he doesn't really do any here. This is mainly just fights, and the, but they're not all that interesting. And if you can get past him trying to shove all the like the quirky camera moves and the editing styles and the, all of that stuff, if you can get past him trying to shove all that stuff down your throat, then, you know, you might like it. But I just feel like it's not really all that original because it's nothing we haven't really seen before and done better. But <clears throat> there's that. And other than that, uh, I just – I can't think of anything new
3: that I've watched oh, recently. it's new or not, you know, anything of note really. I, I, I've, I've been old stuff myself, so <laughs> not a whole lot of new. Like, I, I think I watched one new thing actually that I could talk about. Oh, well, let's hear what you watched, because I'm drawing a blank. Oh, well, the biggest thing of the, I guess of the week that I've watched would be um, the Death of Superman Lives documentary about the, the failed Superman movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is a film that you, you would enjoy if, if you're a comic book fan, basically about the biggest, biggest superhero fan's dream come true, being Nicolas Cage being Superman, because he's... He's so obsessed with the character that he named his son Kellel. So, <laughs> so I, I know, I know he's a fan. And, you know, you get this whole idea about Tim Tim Burton being the director, and this is going to be this big thing, and there was multiple suits and the, the big big production, but all this big production just never happened for a myriad of reasons, and you get all that in this documentary about this movie that never happened, that that was going to happen, and. Ah, you know that was that was a uh, that was a thing in that movie, and uh, I, I'd recommend it. I, I got to watch it because a friend got it from the Kickstarter campaign, and um, I was appreciative of that. So when it actually comes to the masses, I'll uh, I'll uh, let you know. For sure.
4: I'm interested in seeing that as well. I love docs about stuff like that. Um, which you just reminded me. I'm about to Jamie Jenkins here, but you just <laughs> reminded me that I watched. Lost Soul, which was the doc about the making of what would have been the island of Dr. Moreau before it ended up being what we have now as the island of Dr. Moreau, the one with Val Kilmer. Oh, I'm watching that. I've watched
3: it. I know exactly what you're talking about, though. Um,
4: yeah, it's really good. That that's um, that was a really good doc. So I recommend that one, too, for people who are interested in, you know, film and the history of films and you know, just getting all the like the behind-the-scenes dirt on what's going on in Hollywood, which I think is really interesting when it comes to actual filmmaking stuff. Like, I don't really care so much about their personal lives, like who they're dating or who they're screwing or who they're married to. But when – I love behind-the-scenes stories about production.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. I, I, I That there, <laughs> which is just crazy because I guess uh, – Brian doesn't obviously – and, uh, Kilmer's insane, obviously. You don't know who's the more crazier person I hear from just watching this doc. I haven't watched it yet myself. I've been looking forward to seeing it since I heard about it. And, uh, yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and I think I've seen that movie once. And I, I never actually thought anything about it because the movies I saw it when it came to, to video, and yeah, I was, like, 14 or something. And I, I just mm-hmm. didn't care enough to care about it. Which is, um,. A, a bad thing to say about somebody's film, but you know that's that's just the way it is. When you're 14, you got the mind, the attention span of a net, you know, and uh, that's that's the thing. And um, yeah, it, it, I, I went for, it came on Netflix, up. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to watching it and uh, looking into that. Yeah, this I've watched. I've been watching for some reason. <laughs> Netflix brought Roseanne on, on their their programming, and I've been watching a lot of old Roseannes and getting depressed all over again because. That that first season hit some some sore subjects for me. Oh, no, really? It's, it's, it's like you know, it's, it's probably the most depressing. I like except for like the last season, of course. You know, the, that that droll last episode of Roseanne where you find out this is a dream and that's a dream and whatever. Right. But this one, you oh, you know, I remember. Yeah, because <laughs> damn. <laughs> And then, you know, this one, like, you find out, like, Crystal's husband dies, he, he fell under the foundation of this bridge, and that's a thing in this season. And you find out what, what why basically being lower middle class sucks ass, if you could even call them the, the thing, you call, call the the Connors that. You, they might even just be low class, and, you know, you find out how shitty Dan's father is. There's a lot to find out in that first season of Roseanne It's a little too much reality for the first season of that show, but... I, I appreciate that show still, especially the older ones, because after, like, um they win the lottery, it kind of takes a big shit, in my opinion, and then... Yeah, I totally <laughs> agree.
4: I I do. I mean, it's just... I don't even know what they were thinking. I mean, they didn't even just jump the shark. They just completely gave up, is what it felt like to me. Like, yeah, we don't give a shit about anything anymore. We're just going to do all this random, and I didn't, and I just flat didn't think it was all that interesting after that, because once they had money, it took away the relatability, which to me was the best part about that show, was that this family was like any family that you can find anywhere, you know, they, they were making their, like, I love in the first season where you see, or even further on, but whenever they're having problems, it's just like little things like, you know, the, the little ruses that that they would make up to talk on the phone to the power company to explain why they, you know, they hadn't paid their bill and I like think all the just the little lies that they told and the and, you know, constantly struggling with getting new jobs and I mean it was just everyday shit, you know? And plus these parents were everyday parents. They weren't like the leave it to beaver parents. They were the parents who will tell you to knock it off, you know, or whatever. And it just it seemed real and it was very relatable. And Once, like, they did the whole lottery thing, it completely removed all of that, and it became this weird fantasy thing. It was just bizarre. I mean, they were going off in so many different directions, like with her mother being a lesbian and all of that, you know, which there's nothing wrong with that. It just – it was just one more direction that this already, you know, um, schizophrenic show was going off in, and so it was bizarre.
3: Yeah, yeah, I agree and that. It, it doesn't. The thing about its it doesn't take the thing away from the older episodes though, and you
4: know. No, no, no. I still love watching
3: those. But um, yeah, I watched two Adam Sandler companies. Uh, I guess you would call them films. Well, one of them, yeah, they're they're both films, I guess. One being uh, it's free and crackle people right now if you want to watch it. Is uh, Joe Dirt Two Beautiful Loser? <laughs> if you guys like that kind of thing, I was excited for a Joe Dirt sequel for for some reason because I enjoy that, that little piece of shit film. But... um. I like
4: Joe Dirt. I didn't even know there was a sequel, yeah, though. Yeah,
3: it came out just ex- exclusively to Crackle for free. You can watch it anytime you want to. Hmm. Uh, right. A couple of the, the, the real actors are back, and you could... it Basically, <laughs> Joe Dirt marries Brandy, and he has triplets of all things. He has three three daughters, and during a tornado, he gets hit in the head by the trailer door, and he wakes up and he thinks it's like 1967 or something. So he has to, like, you know, back to the future himself to find wherever Brandy is when they met to, to make sure everything goes correctly. But the problem is most of the way through the film, you realize what's going on, that, yep, he's just dreaming and this is all bullshit and blah, blah, blah. And guess what? At the end, spoilers, Joe Durst just got knocked out by the trailer door and, you know, everything is OK, it, you know. But there are little clever things like Walkens back doing his walking thing and uh, and um he has like a <laughs> big old oh god like like a pomp almost like a pompadour haircut he's like big old poofy hair and uh Patrick Warburton if you like that actor he the guy who played the tick and a hundred other things oh, yeah. yeah he's in that movie as like uh like as Clarence like you know from from uh It's a Wonderful Life kind of deal you know He's like this asshole who's mm-hmm. walking him through the motions basically telling him this is how you'd be a better person because he felt like he's a – the beginning of the film left him feel like a big loser like to his daughters and stuff. So I guess this whole dream sequence was a matter of him learning to man up and be a better dad or whatnot, you know, and I, I don't know. It's Joe Dirt too. Take it or leave. You guys, you guys can watch it. <laughs> it's Joe you Dirt You can watch too. it for free. <laughs> you can say either you wasted your 90 minutes or not, you know, but I, I, I feel it's about a – it's about a – A six, uh, five, five and a half out of ten. Is if if you like that kind of thing. If I wanted to dissect it more, I'm sure it'd be more like a three and a half. But you know, I'm not gonna dissect Joe Dirt 2 that bad.
4: (laughs) I think that's probably the safest way to go. Yes,
3: and I watched Paul Blart, Paul Blart Mallcop too because I got it for really cheap, and I I thought the first one was kind of charming, and this one had pretty much what you would expect out of a Paul Blart um uh, sequel, just him doing stuff as a security guard and stuff and whatever Kevin James does in those movies and it, enjoy that shit or, or not enjoy it, you know, you you, you might like it with, watch it with your mom or something, you know. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I saw that. That reminds me, I also watched 21 Jump Street, which I had not seen before, although I'd heard good things about it and I was perusing Voodoo and uh, came across... That and, no, came across 22 Jump Street, but I hadn't seen the first one yet. So we got the first one so we could watch the first one. So then we could watch the second one. Anyway, I liked it. Those are fun movies. I thought it was really good. And I thought it was really fun how there were a ton of Easter eggs thrown in there for – fans of the show and like other things. I mean, it was just very, if you pay attention, there's all kinds of geeky stuff in there, which is really fun. And even if you don't get it, you can still enjoy it because it's still a fun, funny, enjoyable movie. But if you really pay attention, then it just adds that much more to it. And I thought it was cleverly done, like probably one of the best, if not the best um, TV show to movie, you know, because there was that whole we went through it with, you know, Charlie's Angels and Dukes of Hazard and, and, like, every time you turn around, there was a new one. I kept waiting for Remington Steel, but we never got it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I thought this was probably the best one, if
3: not close to it. Oh, the second one, they're just making fun of themselves the whole time with, with the whole idea the budget, you know. Uh, the, the captain played by Ice Cube saying, you know, all the budget went into this fucking office, you know, and all of a sudden, we can't afford any more, y'all. Explosions, a car chases into that bullshit. Like, basically tell them not to get in trouble. Basically tell them the budget has run <laughs> out because of, i got this giant glass house fucking office inside this other church, you know, because they, they lost the lease of the Korean, the Korean church, so they had to go across the street. And... <laughs> oh, God. oh, that's funny.
4: Oh, um, that's kind of funny, because if you ever watched Silk Stockings... see they had this like ridiculous neon, you know, police station thing going on there. And in the first season, um, oh, what's his name? The dancer. Um, um, oh shoot. Anyway, the captain, he's always talking about what is up with this office? What kind of police station? That's, you know, which is kind of Ben Vereen. Um, it's kind of funny that, you know, they're it was very self aware, and that was way before being self aware was a thing that people did all the time. You know?
3: Yeah. It, 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 then uh, they just cement that in that movie, though. Like, this is the movie we're making, and like this is the sequel. These are the rules of the sequel. And guess what? We spent all the money here, so don't do nothing stupid. And you know, they made it really jokingly, and I I can really appreciate a movie that does that.
4: Oh, for sure. Well, I definitely want to check it out because I really liked the first one. So.
3: That's good to know. Oh, and I watched another doc, which you know I, I shouldn't do these things because I watched a, uh, amazing journey the the story of the Who, and the Who's my favorite band ever. So you know when they started going into like was really good at the beginning because they about their their upbrings and how. When a John Entwistle wanted to play bass guitar, like the, the bass guitar he has, he had, net, you know, for the band, there was no such thing. So he had to make his own. So a lot of these guys made homemade instruments to play these these first tunes, these first who tunes tunes and the detours tunes and all that stuff. And, and then you get to the point where people start dying off and then you, I, I got to hit the pause button because it's like, you know what? I got I to have a moment, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. a moment to reflect on, on Keith Moon and John Entwistle all over again. Especially John Entwistle because he died when you know basically when I was going into adulthood, whereas Keith Moon died when I was—I mean, well, I was alive, but I was barely alive, you know. So, and um, yeah, it it, it, it hits me hard because what is your favorite band in the world? I was like, you know what, the the music he could have made if they weren't all on fucking drugs, you know. <laughs> that's the thing—they did, they did a lot of drugs, and you know that that's that's not good for your body and. Two of those members learned that the hard way, you know. Let me tell you, Janet Whistle, he's a pretty fucking snappy dresser though. So you know, I, I give him that. I, I love the, the the parts in the back. Remember to talk about how many pairs of shoes he would buy when he went out, like like, like a woman or something. You know, it's crazy. You know, but he, he had a lot of money, <laughs> and he, he he went broke by by spending money on these wardrobes and extravagance and stuff like that, and and. Uh,
4: well, that's what happens, you know, and and then it's like they have the mentality that it's gonna be there forever, but you know, it's not.
3: Yeah, and I'm sure there's other stuff, I guess, but the, that and Superman doc probably my my highlights of the week, though. So uh, we'll go into uh, next section of the show, which I love to call the beef of the week. <laughs> Let me ask you first, Jamie, it doesn't matter what it is on the show lately, but do you have any grievances of the week basically about film or life or people or whatever? Go lay it out here if you want to.
4: You know, it's funny that you should ask because just last night I had to go to Kroger and while I'm there, this woman is behind me in line and she's just talking away on her cell phone and we get our groceries and we're loading them up and we're heading out to the car and she's coming out pretty much right behind us. I mean, like, we've barely got her stuff in the car before she is already at her car and she's parked directly across from us, still talking away on the phone. And I'm like, you're going to tell me that you didn't even stop your conversation long enough to go through that line. And she didn't. She kept talking all the way through. Are we still doing this? I mean, as a society, this is something that people are still doing. Like, I know that for a while there, People just kind of let it slide because I guess cell phones were new and exciting. I really don't know what the reason was. I always thought it was completely rude. But I how are we still allowing this to happen? I just – I don't understand it. I, I went to a convenience store one time where there was a sign on the counter that said, you know, no cell phones at the counter. Basically, you're on your phone. We don't ring you up. And I say, Good good for you. Because if you don't have enough common courtesy to put down your phone long enough to go through a transaction with the cashier to speak actual words to them, and I've been on the other side of the counter, I know what that's like, then I don't want your business. You know, That's just how I would look at it. So anyway, that's something that's fresh in my mind. And I ranted about that all the way home. I mean, just From the time we were driving out of the parking lot until the time I pulled into the driveway, I was just like, actually, while I was unloading the groceries, I was just like, you know, and it led to other stuff, too. But basically, it's just, you know, common decency, common courtesy, humanity. Let's just stop this bullshit. So if any of you are out there doing this, stop it because it's not okay.
3: I mean, the whole time you we were saying, you know, I've been there for uh, all I could think about was race stands and Ghostbusters. I've been in the private sector. I know, you know, it's just <laughs> 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 that's crazy. That's the laughing in my head all, all of a sudden, like, yeah, I've been in the private sector. I know, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, as far as I go, this 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 is a wrestling as I like, r- wrestling has been something that's been in my life for as far back as I can remember, and there's a the guy who's the current uh, champion in the WWE. If you like to watch that kind of thing. And, and I do, you know, where he posted on the internet that how these guys, these wrestlers of today work a lot harder than the older wrestlers. And this is me telling you Seth Rollins to uh, shut the fuck up because those guys are on the road, on the road in cars, try trying to avoid press because of the whole kayfabe thing where there's, there's supposed to be enemies, supposed to be enemies supposed to hang out with each other. And, they work shows in the morning, and the evening. They travel to different territories. Hell, in the, in the 90s to the 80s, or to other countries, they got exchanged out to other countries. So, sir, just shut the fuck up. Okay, that, that's all it. Yeah, there you go. Seth Rollins, shut the fuck up. That, that is my, my beef of the week. A guy I've never met him, probably. You tell I, him. I'll probably never meet this guy. I've never met him before in my life, you know, but go fuck yourself, Seth Rollins, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but yes. As far as tonight for our, our inaugural show with this lovely lady here, she chose uh off off the long list. Uh, well, long and short of the list, I guess. Uh, episode called Your Cheatin' Heart, where um we do three films basically about scorned lovers or lovers. Yeah,
4: at first I thought it was gonna be uh it was gonna be about the Hank Williams Jr. movie
3: or rather Hank Williams Senior movie,
4: but darn it. <laughs> Did you ever see that with George No? Harrison? I didn't see
3: that. but I, I kind of want to now.
4: <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so good. I well, I think anyway. Um, it's just basically the Hank Williams story, but it's I don't know. It's an old favorite of mine, and at the very least, you should play that song on this okay, episode.
3: Okay, we will. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah, we, we i chose three films for this episode. It's one of those spur of the moment episodes that I just again, you write stuff down, so you know. But uh first up in the in the in the docket, where I guess we'll go um I guess we'll go chronologically here is a 1964's straight jacket starring the great uh well, the the, the over over the top Joan Crawford and in everything and anything she ever done. And uh we'll go into that right after the trailer here.
5: Something happens to me,
3: something frightening.
1: From the loneliness and simplicity of an isolated farm to the sophisticated elegance of a country estate, jacket mounts to a crescendo of electrifying suspense. Sinister, <gasps> frightening. Bill!
6: Bill! Don't you go that room!
1: Joan Crawford in a shattering screen portrayal. Woman pressured by straitjacket tension.
6: Leave me alone! You let go of me? Listen
5: to me! Just call me Lucy. I wouldn't like my little girl to think I was trying to take her fellow away from her. Carol and Michael are going to be married! And nobody's gonna stop it!
1: Ingeniously designed to shock and startle. Straightjacket may go beyond the limits of your ability to endure suspense.
6: Mother!
7: He's gone. Tell me. Oh, my
1: God! The author of the famed novel, Psycho. The director of the widely acclaimed chiller, Homicidal. The co-star of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Join forces to create a frightening classic of shock and suspense.
3: Jacket from 1964, directed by the great William Castle. After a 20-year stay in an asylum for the, a double murder, a mother returns to her estranged daughter where suspicions arise about her behavior. Uh, this, of course, I said, starred Joan Crawford as your uh, your lead character, Lucy Harbin. I love how this film starts, to The old extra, extra, that done a deal like that. To, you know.
4: Oh, man, <laughs> it, it is... <laughs> So dramatic, <laughs> extra, extra, and then she's dramatic. The first time you see her, when she walks on the screen, and they do that sort of film noirish um, like description, like she was a woman, and she was very much a woman, and she very much knew it, you know. And you see her come walking on the screen with her dangly bracelets, and and just I don't know. She stops and adjusts herself, but it's she's so over, just over the top, over the top. You know, like if you watch *Mommy Dearest* and see Faye Dunaway's portrayal of Joan Crawford, I think she was pulling back. You know, I think that the actual Joan Crawford is way crazier than that.
3: Yeah, more than likely. I said another person I've ever interacted with, but I've heard, I've heard stories not just from *Mommy Dearest*, but *Mommy Dearest*. If that's not enough for you, just to say that you know, she's she's off a rocker, you know, mental wise. (laughs) That maybe you need to go join her club or something like that, you know. But um, I'll let you take the lead on this one and uh, tell the folks about the movie a bit and what your thoughts are about it, girl.
4: Okay. Well, um, I really like this film. That this was written by Robert Block, who, if you aren't familiar out there, he was the writer of Psycho, not the screenplay, but the actual book. And uh, there was a time when he wasn't getting credit for that that film came out just four years before this one. And William Castle wanted to make a movie where he had a big actress playing a psycho. And so he goes to Robert Block and he's like, I need you to write me a movie about a big actress playing, you know, who turns into a psycho. And I kind of feel like this was Robert Block's way. And I have never heard him say this and I've never heard it anywhere else, but I just kind of feel like, This is his way of just saying, fuck you, to all the people who were giving credit to the screenwriter of Psycho rather than to him where the story originally came from. Because if you look at it, there are a couple of similarities. Um, And I kind of wonder if maybe this is him going, "Okay, fine, I'm going to make this and it's going to be mine. Unfortunately, the film is not as good as Psycho. But um, that's the difference between Hitchcock and Castle. I absolutely love Castle, but, you know, we all know he's no Hitchcock. But apart from Joan Crawford, we also have George Kennedy and Diane Baker, who modern horror fans should recognize as the senator from um, uh, The Silence of the Lambs. And uh, was there there someone else? Maybe not. Uh, But – Anyway, basically, the um, Lucy Harbin who killed her husband. Oh yeah, the her husband who was a young and I think this might have been his first film role. Um, oh, what is wrong with me? I can't think of anything tonight. You know, um, what's his name? Uh, Lee Majors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lee Majors. Um, uh, Lee Majors is her husband, who's seven years younger than her, and she's away out of town, and and while she's away, he brings a girly home and apparently they have sex. Although all really, really sees them laying fully clothed next to each other on the bed asleep. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, she comes home.
3: I love the, whole, the, the whole breakdown at the beginning where basically the, the they tell you everything that's going on. Like the seven years younger than her. And the other reason why he married her is because she had, she was a property owner, which sounds kind of weird because she had like the one house and the best it was a farm too, I guess.
4: Yeah, I'm not really sure because they didn't go into any description as to what kind of property. But we get the, but we, she tells us later that she grew up on a farm, so I'm guessing it might be that. But the little house that she had didn't look all, didn't look that impressive. So you know, I don't know. But uh, she comes home unexpectedly to see her husband in bed with another woman goes apeshit and decapitates both of them with an ax that she finds uh, from outside, which that's one thing I have to give this film is for the time, because this is four years before night of the living dead, which was considered pretty gruesome for the time. This film delivers, I think on the gore for the time period, you know, the special effects aren't fantastic. They don't necessarily look all that realistic, But they, you know, they went there in a couple of places. You know, where um, uh, we get one decapitation later on in the film. That you know, there's it's pretty bloody. You actually see the head leave the body, and you know, it's pretty bloody. It doesn't, like I said, it
3: doesn't look realistic.
4: But I gotta give them some points for going that far.
3: Definitely, Uh, especially in the time where that was kind of not not kind of it was really frowned upon (laughs) amongst the film community, right?
4: And this is Joan Crawford, you know, this is a very well-respected actress who has been around since the heyday of Hollywood. It's not really the kind of thing that you expect her to do, although this was after Baby Jane. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess that kind of people are more used to her doing something like that by this point. Um, this is also the time period in which she was married to the Pepsi magnate. Yes. And you can see that because there is Pepsi all over which, the place. Which in was this part movie. of her
3: contract. <laughs> I seen in, in the little documentary they had about it, you know.
4: Yeah, that's right. Um, and it was funny because we were watching this and, and Brian was like, hey, you want some Pepsi? He's like, what's up with the Pepsi? He's like, Pepsi everywhere. And and I said, oh, well, she was married to the Pepsi guy. And that much I knew from reading Mommy Dearest as well as seeing that movie 150 mm-hmm. times over the years. So I was like, oh, yeah, she was married to the Pepsi guy. And anything she did, it was there was Pepsi all over the place because she was basically the spokesperson at that point. And Um, But I thought it was funny because I had never noticed it in this film until he pointed it out. And I was like, oh, yeah, there it is. Um, So there's that. Um, Anyway, so she goes apeshit, kills the two of them, but is unaware that her young daughter sees the whole thing happen. And then she's taken away to an asylum. Twenty years later, they deem her healthy enough to be released. Um, So says the doctor, who was played by... The vice president of Pepsi at the time, <laughs> incidentally, he was not even an actor. He just was the vice president, and she promised him a role in this film. I mean, she made a lot of demands on this film, and um, some of them, you know, not so bad, like you know, private trailer things like that. Some of them were kind of kooky, and that she had script, she had script approval, she had cast approval. And every they just bent to anything she wanted because they wanted Joan Crawford, they, meaning William Castle, wanted Joan Crawford in this film. Because, you know, he's always known for like his big hooks and his big like uh, his gimmicks. But I guess he felt with this film, if he had Joan Crawford, he wouldn't need to do anything like hire nurses or, you know, to be in the lobby or have ambulances standing by or any of the other shock your seats or any other cool things he did. Uh, so, anyway, he really wanted her, and they did pretty much whatever she wanted. I don't know that that was necessarily for the best, but, you know, I don't think that – I don't really think the doctor character was all that egregious, I and mean, he, you know, he didn't stick out as is no. too terrible to me. But um, – so, anyway, she comes home and attempts to get acclimated – to the new situation and basically meet her daughter for the first time, and then we kind of watch their relationship unfold and see what happens. Is she really ready to come home, or is she still crazy?
3: Yeah, that's that's the question because throughout the whole film, you get to see stuff like her having these dreams. All of a sudden, she wakes up with a uh, a figure severed head next to her and stuff like that. And those people are basically messing with, with the whole film you don't know because you see this 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 person like somebody somebody gives her a wig of hair like she used to wear and all of a sudden they they feel like she's going back to the way she was she starts having these dreams i love the i love the scene with the record player which she's playing the, the uh, record player and she's just like you know you don't know if she's crazy or she's having a good time you know it's like she
4: I love the scene where she attempts to seduce her daughter's boyfriend. Basically, she's, like, putting her fingers in his mouth. Oh, yeah.
3: That's that sexy. While
4: she's talking to him. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my goodness.
3: <laughs> oh, man. That, that's, that, was, that was a little weird. Yeah, because she she got she got way into that, I guess, back into her. Because I, I don't think she was really that, that devilish back in the day, the day. I guess she just had enough. Like, maybe she... She, she knew that, the, that her, her husband was cheating on people and like this is the last fucking straw I'm going to cut this fucker's head off. I don't know if she was making up for 20 years of being in an insane asylum because, you know, she's... How how Mrs. Crawford got her groove back. She wants to get herself some young meat now, you know? And that's the only way I can explain that scene. It's like, okay, I ain't had that in about 20 years. You look tasty. And I'll, I'll give you a go because I got my dress on, I got my wig on, I got my but you embrace it. I feel like a, a million dollars that I can go out and do anything, including bang my, my, my daughter's fiance. And you know, Oh yeah. <laughs> and all, all the stuff with your, her, her going, yeah, or her, her being driven to insanity is, is, is great in this movie. Uh, you mentioned George Kennedy who plays like the caretaker of the property. He's pretty good. as like your walking exposition. Like I see everything and I'm going to tell that kind of deal. And, Mm-hmm. And he's good at yeah. that, you know. He, um, whenever
4: I see him pull off like a sleazy character or just like I, I don't know, it just it works so well. And this character reminds me of a much rougher, sleazier version of which it might even that might be hard to do, but it um, looks <laughs> definitely a rougher version of his character from Cool Hand Luke. Yeah. It's just uh, his delivery. And everything, that's what it immediately reminded me of. But he does that well. He does it really
3: well. There's a, there's a scene in the movie where, you know, of course, he, he the stuff that happens with the doctor, and he, I guess he inherits the car, I guess you would call it. And he's <laughs> painted that car with the house paint. I was like, why would you ruin that car with house paint, you asshole? You know? <laughs> oh.
4: Yeah, that was. Uh, and he's like, I got my new car. And I was like, oh. And see, that's the exact car. It was actually a year earlier than my grandfather's car. My grandfather had a 64 Ford Galaxy. And he bought it off the showroom floor, had it till the day he died. And I am very familiar with that car. Now this, But this one, I think, was a 63. And so I'm looking at it and as, he's, as he's painting it with house paint. It's just kind of tearing me up a little bit. <laughs> inside because those really were pretty
3: cars yeah oh yeah my mom my mom had one too <laughs> for a ford galaxy you know that she uh inherited from somebody else not the same way no he not, did, not the same way he did you know <laughs> no, 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 no 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 no, nothing like that oh it, it, there's certain stuff in the movie where it's it's really silly and if you haven't seen straight check I, I really don't want to give away the big well you cut you in a way, we kind of did already. We talked about like uh, how it's just like psycho, but but basically the daughter becomes more and more obsessed with what the mother's doing, and maybe she's not well, and this that, or the other. But uh, the 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 whole time, you know, she she's playing everybody and all this other good stuff, and you know, just something happens at the end, which you know, <laughs> if you see Mission Impossible, she 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 kind of pulls one of those. <laughs> yeah nice. it, it, it looks it looks really hokey you, you'd hope when all those killings happening is happening in a real dark place because i doubt 1960s technology would be able to, to do what she did you know effectively you know oh well for sure <laughs>
4: i i agree with that completely it's it's sticks out um and you're going whoa really <laughs> who believed that but you know interesting idea and the one thing that really bothers me about this film is that giant expedition, expedition, exposition dump that we get at the end, which is also very reminiscent of yep. Psycho. But, and I guess I tolerate it more there. I kind of, and I get it. People back then, it, as far as Psycho goes, it makes more sense I think because you're dealing with like a, a, a psychosis. You're de- and he's attempting to explain you know, what is the difference between being a cross-dresser and being gay? I mean, he goes through that whole thing. And I I get that because back then people didn't really know that much. But here I just feel like they basically walked you through the entire thing at the end, and it just feels so clunky and clumsy. I really just wish that it wasn't there or that it was trimmed a little bit, maybe streamlined. Um, If they really – I don't know. Did they really think that audiences were that dumb? Back then, I mean, how stupid did they think people were watching movies? Or did they just want to be really sure that everyone understood every little thing that was going on?
3: Let let me lay this in a little thicker for you, just just in case you don't get what's going on. Yeah,
4: In case you didn't get it. Um, But, you know, other than that, I I do think this is a solid film. It's definitely a fun one. Joan Crawford's performance is fantastic, and um, in all the best ways. (laughs) And you know, it's William Castle. So I have to recommend this film to horror fans. If you're a horror fan, you really need to see it uh, for many reasons. Uh, One, because it was written by Robert Glock. Two, because it was directed by William Castle. And, you know, three, because I really do believe that it was, um, it went where a lot of films wouldn't have gone back then. So I would um, definitely, definitely recommend not even just recommend it i think you kind
3: of have to yeah oh it has one of those great this is a william castle movie scenes in it where um joan joan crawford and her daughter come face to face well face to her face because she's wearing the mask of her and she throws that axe at joan crawford and like really cartoony just sticks to the wall so it's a like straight you know oh, yeah it's like who doesn't and I'm thinking she's about three feet from her. How does she not hit her it's with like, that? is she a lumberjack or something? Because in a, in a, <laughs> an axe that large, you'd have to have really precision throw to even get it to where you throw it. Even throw an axe to make it stick t- takes some kind of skill, you know. And uh, she must have took some classes or something from George Kennedy how to throw an axe or something. And you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> that should have been more in the exposition. It's like uh, she took some some lessons from a lumberjack way back when, and uh, she was in. Her <laughs> did years. you ever,
4: when you were a kid, did you ever try to do that? Did you ever like try to make an axe oh, stick on a tree or throw a knife to the ground or all all the things that you've seen people do in movies? Like uh, because of Magnificent Seven, I had I, I did I went through this whole knife period where I was like throwing knives at, at everything, and uh, because of James Coburn and. Um, what I found is that you have to, there is a technique involved. You can't just sling a knife at something and expect it to stick because most of the time, if you don't do it right, it's just going to hit on the side, like the broad oh. side, or it's going to hit handle or it's going to, I mean, it's not going to work. So you have to know what you're doing. It's not like you can just pick it up and, you know, first shot, you're going to be able to throw a knife and stick it into something oh. or an ax for that matter.
3: Oh, and an know. aliens movie, I know you hate And uh, Henriksen talked about it in an interview. If you get Oh, with yeah, the hand you know, he does, Yeah, he does this yeah. move where he spins the knife in the palm of his hand first before he grabs it, and if you watch it, the film, you can see it, you know, and I, I've been trying to do moves like that. Uh, for some reason, they, they sold, wepo- sold weapons to kids at flea markets way back when. They don't do it so much anymore. The Mad Marnigan sword flip from Willow, where if you've seen Willow, you know what I'm talking about, where... Uh, Bell Kilmer standing in the snow and he does this, throwing the sword behind his back thing and twirling and catching it. Oh, I know what you're yeah, talking buddy. about. Yeah, <laughs> buddy. I've always wanted to do that. Oh, yeah, didn't, anything. You, you, say, you sell ninja stars, again, going back to the flea market, selling ninja stars to kids, trying to flick ninja stars at the wall and trying to make them stick. Good luck with that, you know, and it, it, it doesn't work unless you have some kind of skill. And the fact that she had these massive lumberjack skills out of this little teeny tiny, maybe a hundred pound lady, you know, to chuck it with enough force to make it stick in the wall straight perfectly was like a, a very William Castle moment. Oh, it reminded me of a lot of of like the war of the roses where Kathleen Turner was in full swing, just (laughs) losing her fucking mind, you know, and just throwing shit at Michael Douglas. It, 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 It made me laugh my ass off scenes like that, which, I shouldn't laugh at the War of the Roses like that, but that stuff is hilarious. I love that movie.
4: <laughs> I do. I just... Um, yeah, that's one nobody ever talks about.
3: That's a good man. I, I, I gotta say, you know, it was pretty popular back in the day. I don't know about so much now, but but um, I guess we'll go into uh, ratings now. Uh, one through ten, what do you give Jacket?
4: Well, that's kind of difficult here, <laughs> because... It does have its issues. Like I said, the special effects aren't great. Um, and
3: or I
4: don't know. I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's a seven.
3: Yeah. I'm right there with you. Cause it's, it's not, I can't, I can't say it's five, it's definitely not middle of the road. It's, it's too iconic to be middle of the road. And you know, the scene alone where she's hacking up the husband and the, the girlfriend is, is pretty iconic in itself. First time I saw that was in serial mom, you know, where, most of my cult directors come from is John Waters telling me what to watch usually, you know? And, um, yeah, they showed that scene in serial mom where she's hacking up her husband's head. And I love that. It's all done in shadow, by the way, that that, like, okay, you know, what's going on that That's the lump that used to be his head. Now it's off his shoulder children. And then she just maniacally slashes at the bodies with with the, the giant ax, you know, and, um, yeah, for for it's sort of on a seven two like like I said because it's not I, I recommend it just like you, you recommend it you know it's not not the perfect film but you know it's a film that I think any genre fan should see to to knock it off that old bucket list but um yeah with that we'll uh go into our next feature which I think we'll do Philly Minnesota next and uh we'll get to that right after this.
5: You'd better keep your head, little boy, or you won't last in my world. you better run for your life if you can, little boy. Hide your head in the sand, little boy. Catch you with another girl. That's the end. Little boy. Well, you know that I'm a wicked chick, and I was born with a jealous mind. I can't spend my whole life trying Just to make you toe that line So you better run for your life if you can Little boy Hide your head in the sand Little boy Catch you with another girl That's the end Hmm... be a sermon I mean everything I said and baby I'm determined cause I'd rather see you dead you better run for your life if you can little boy hide your head in the sand baby boy catch you with another girl that's the end you hear me Well, I'd rather see you dead, little boy, than to see you with another girl. You better keep your head, little boy, or you won't last in my world. You better run for your life if you can, little boy. Hide your head in the sand, little boy. Catch you with another girl, that's the end. Of... Little boy.
8: your brother is going to show up. I told him it wasn't right if he didn't come to his brother's wedding. Now, I know
2: you haven't seen each other in a few years, but please, try and get along with him. Sam, I'm talking to you.
3: What if she
1: doesn't come up on, on the happiest day of her life?
8: Forget about her, Rick. I'm not
1: marrying him. <sighs> I hope you two kids will be very happy. Can I miss A blushing bride and her husband-to-be were a picture of marital bliss. They make a nice couple, don't they? Shut it up. No, they don't. Until she met the man of her dreams.
8: You're not related to him, are you?
1: Sam's my brother. I
8: don't know who's worse off, you or me. Or me.
1: Missing from the honeymoon is the groom.
8: If I close my eyes, I can see us in Vegas lying by a pool
0: with water in
8: it. How does
0: something like this happen to me? Hey, she was my wife! She didn't want to be with you. So why couldn't she love me anyway? You
3: know, you're a beautiful girl, Freddie. I bad the way you turn up in this bad crowd situation. I'm gonna go at it, don't we, Sam? Good time. I fell into a burning ring of
1: fire. I went down, down, down. And the flames went higher. And it burns, burns, burns. The ring of fire. The ring of fire. Ring if you're gonna kill someone, you gotta
7: kill him. The Drop the fire. gun! You drop, yours. Oh, I
0: pulled mine out
1: first. Go ahead. Shoot. Keanu Reeves, Cameron Diaz, Vincent D'Onofrio, Dan Aykroyd, Courtney Love, Tuesday Weld, and Delroy Lindo in a film directed by Steven Bagelman. Feeling Minnesota. You know,
0: Jacks, Why can't it be nice when you come home to visit, you know? Normal like other families.
1: Produced by Jersey Films.
3: Feeling Minnesota from 1996. Uh, Plot synopsis is this. An ex-convict and his bumbling crook brother fight for the same woman. That's kind of like a a crappy synopsis IMDb, but uh, we'll go into this anyway. Yeah, Feeling Minnesota is a film about two brothers who have been rivals since they were little Vincent D'Onofrio and Keanu Reeves who played the brothers Vincent D'Onofrio being the older brother. So there's a scene in the beginning of the movie, which I think sums it up where Jax, who is, uh, who is Keanu Reeves character in the film it was the only reason why he's called Jax. Cause there was a, a misprint on his birth certificate that they never fixed. So he always had that S on the end of his name, which I thought was a cool explanation for why they called him Jax. And, um, He's going to come...
4: Yeah, I thought that was yeah.
3: kind of fun. He, he left Minnesota for, for many years, and he'd come back there to, I guess, come to the guilt of his mother, because <laughs> she seemed like one of those real guilt trip type women, to come to his brother's wedding, which wasn't... It, it was a wedding of of sorts, really, because his bride-to-be was basically forced into marriage because she, she stole money, supposedly, f- from um, Delroy Lindo's character, Red, who's like this... I guess, hot mob boss of of ghetto Minnesota, (laughs) I guess you would call it. And I'll say it right now, I love Delroy Lindo's hair on this movie more than anything else.
4: Oh my goodness, with that hair. The character's
3: okay, but the hair hair brings it all together, you know?
4: You know, have you ever heard my Delroy Lindo impression? Oh
3: no, let's hear it though.
4: I have one. I have one, and it's not very good. But every time I see Delroy Lindo – and you can tell me if you, what movie this comes from because I'm sure you'll know. But uh, <laughs> here it goes. Stop eating my sesame cake!
3: Oh, no, I don't, I don't know that. Oh, I don't know
4: that one, no. You don't? No. Oh, it's from Congo. Oh, yeah, it's
3: been a while since I watched that movie, see?
4: <laughs> and every time I see him, that's immediately what I say. So of course I said that when he came on screen and then I saw that hair. Oh, the hair yeah.
3: well, the hair, the hair is a- which kind
4: of reminds me of the flashback or flash forward scenes from Twelve Monkeys mm-hmm. where uh, William is it William Morse that's playing the is that the guy who is it William Morse who plays the guy who steals or is planning to deliver the I believe so virus yeah. Anyway, yeah, that,
3: that's what his hair reminded me of. <laughs> well, it, it reminded me
4: of... it um, got awful blonde wig what thing. What
3: was it, um... Oh, what was his name? And, um, Jackie Brown, Samuel Jackson's character, but his, his character in that film, when he took off the hat, had the same kind of, you know, straight hair, straight, you know, slicked-back hair, you know? Yeah, And uh, yeah, it made me laugh. Yeah, the, he, he, um... She supposedly, played by Cameron Diaz, uh, that his bride-to-be owed him, stole some money from him, so... I guess it's her punishment. She had to marry Vincent D'Onofrio's character in the film. Just, just, just say, okay, now this is your bride. The way he puts it, you'll cook for him, you'll clean for him, and you'll suck his dick every once in a while, which is really a mean thing to say to a woman, who in this case has done absolutely nothing, you know, because you find out that Vincent D'Onofrio stole the money, and that he had this big plan, and then the, I guess I don't know if his plan was to marry the Cameron Diaz character, but. There's a part in the movie where he says that he, he spent the money on a, a house in, in, in Vegas and this, that, or the other, which he seemed really genuine in that scene. But- yeah, I mean, well, he
4: had the brochure for the houses um, even before they got married. He was showing it to – I guess it was Delroy Lindo. Mm-hmm. Um, he was showing him the brochure for the houses. And it was – I forget the name of the the company, but it cracked me up, whatever it was, the – that had the house builders. But
3: anyways, I, I think that was sincere. Yeah, probably the most sincere thing in the film. Well, he, <laughs> well, he, he goes, he, he, he gets married and the mother's upset. And this is a very mother, really bitch mother thing to do is all upset. Cause our, our, uh, our, 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 little brother didn't even bring a gift to his brother's wedding that he hates. He hates, he hates Minnesota. He hates his mother for discarding him. He hates his brother even more because his brother did what big brothers, shitty big brothers do. He, he shit all over him during his childhood. He's even he, he carried over into adulthood. So he can give, give two craps about this guy's wedding and, you know, what goes on so, so bad that he uh, he fucks the bride at the reception on the wedding day, which was uh, really messed up. And I, I love the fact that there's kids outside laughing at the fact that they're, they're making these love making sounds and, you know. That, that's a little little quirk in the movie. There's a lot of little quirks in this movie though. So uh, they make a grand plan to escape with each other on, on on the same day, you know, to uh to to wherever they're gonna go, and um assuming that she 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 knows where the, the, she thinks that he knows where this money is that he has stashed away that he spent on this house we that we just talked about and you know, so the whole film is essentially them on the run from Vincent D'Onofrio who's great in this movie he's just this bumbling drunk who seems partially sincere but partially you know you know that this this is mine this is what's owed to me but it's not what's owed to you because you stole all this money from from delroy lindo and she was blamed for and all this stuff and she just wants to go to vegas to be a dancer you know all this crazy stuff and um what's what's your what's your take on this movie jamie i'm sorry it's really long. It is a longer movie, yeah.
4: <laughs> it's really long, but I thought it was pretty good. And I like the way we ended up. Um, I thought Keanu Reeves was good in this. He's not always. So, you know, that's usually a caveat that I like to throw in when I think he does show a good performance. I thought Cameron Diaz was good. And actually, I thought everyone was good. I mean, Vincent D'Onofrio was, I think, pretty standout as the brother because uh, he did an excellent job. We even had some Courtney love in there briefly as a waitress. Yeah, she's in a couple, she had a couple uh, briefly <laughs> a couple, a couple scenes, of times. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's an interesting story. I think it, I don't know that it necessarily holds up for me all that well, because when this film originally came out, it got a lot of acclaim. It got, a, you know, uh, people were really talking about it, you know, it was this whole indie thing, and and I can see now why it did, but I don't know that it necessarily holds up for me as well. I, I haven't seen it since I saw it back then. This is the only time I've seen it since, and I honestly didn't remember all that much about it, very much at all. I didn't even remember how it ended. That's how long it's been, but I mean, overall, I found it enjoyable. I just think it was um and i like the story i just think it was a little bit long and kind of self-indulgent in that respect but you know definitely not bad i think it's worth checking out well, for sure.
3: that's one of the biggest problems i have with the film too that it drags out you know to two places that it probably shouldn't go because there's a point in the film where d'onofrio catches up with two of them and he he knocks him out and he he shoots her s- supposedly dead until you know later on, you find out when the Michael Rospoli character, which is a character I love from The Sopranos, and Death to Smoochie and I'd say about ten other things, tries to blackmail them supposedly to to say, I saw one, I saw one of you guys, you know, carry her, bring her in. I seen another one of you guys carry her dead body out, and it was a ruse by her by saying, you know. Maybe we can get more money. But we can go, or I can go away with that, and because my plan kind of failed, and all this other stuff, and yeah, the, the stuff like that made it drag out, and and all, all the the stuff of the going back and forth to find the money, and then then going back to see the red character, and and yeah, it just it, it didn't need to all be there, but the, the the stuff that was there that I enjoyed, I, I wish it was more like that movie. I mean, D'Onofrio was having a bad day here, man. And, and this, this, this is what I love about this movie, what, what I think really holds it together, is that on, on his wedding day, which, you know, he's not he's not in love with this girl, but he's he he's doing his best, much like a mail-order bride, where, you know, you, you meet this girl for the very first time, and you're going to try to make it work. And the, the fact that he had a plan to, to, to get a house in Vegas for them, because he knew what her, her her dream was, he had her dream in mind, you know, and and this that and the other, and basically they were gonna try to be as happy as possible as they can, as as, as in the situation as they can. He lost his wife and his mother on the same day. And, and that's that's pretty yeah, fucking. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I love that mother death scene. That was great. Oh god, when he went to, he went to go, he went to get a, a gift. Like here's a candy dish. You know, ha- have a happy life. And that was the thing that killed the mother. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the mother, which he didn't particularly care for, because he was discarded to his father at the very beginning of this movie. He's like, well, why am I gonna go there? Because uh, he was the first one, and uh, you're you're basically shit. So his image of the of his mother at that point was pretty much okay. This is the woman who abandoned me, and I never need to talk to her ever again. So you know that that kind of deal. And
4: yeah, I can't really blame him.
3: But the, yeah, the fact that he lost she who was very close to his mother. She she he lost his mother and and his his bride in the same day, I, I'd be a little, I'd be a little on edge too, you know, to go chase down this motherfucker who happens to be my, be my brother, you know? Oh, but yeah, the, this movie, like, like you said, was, was put out in a time where a lot of this indie stuff, especially the, the, the Lawrence Bender, a band apart stuff was coming out and that, that, that pretty much made instant popularity. And, you know, this right. movie did okay. At the box office, I think I, I saw it when it came to video because, we was Poe and this didn't come to the dollar show. So I, I didn't, I didn't see it. So <laughs> what of what those deals? And, um, yeah, I, 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 I can enjoy the stuff that's going on. In the movie, like, like you said, though, if they, they cut, they trimmed it down. It would be more serviceable as a film to the masses. I guess you would call it, you know?
4: Yeah. I think it just, it tends to feel a little draggy after a while. Um, just because there's a lot of stuff like you said, that, Is in there that isn't really necessary to be in there. So I think if it were, you know, a little tighter, then it would be much better. But, you know, as it is, it's good. I just think that it should be a little tighter. And whenever a film goes on unnecessarily long like that with a lot of extra stuff, it always just makes me think that the filmmaker is just sort of jerking off,
3: you know? Well, I I think that. And I see his name in, in, in the opening credits, and he's only in here for like a whole three minutes maybe. But I seen the Levon Helm was going to be in the movie. I was looking for him the whole time, which, you know—
4: Oh, I don't even see his name in the yeah, credits. Yeah, he, he
3: played the Bible salesman that he he took he, he got a ride to Vegas with at the end. And if you guys don't know who that is, he's probably one of the best musicians that ever lived. You know, he's one of the fine, one of the founding members of the band, you know— he, he, he played with so many people that's not even funny, and, and you know, if, if you enjoy music, you, you might be interested in looking into what Levon Helms has done, you know, all, all over his career because it's a big clusterfuck of stuff and of, of, of greatness. And just to see his name and the tunes that are in this movie, anytime you give me The Righteous Brothers multiple times and Nancy Sinatra, I, I, I'm okay with you, okay? And this film had a decent soundtrack to play along with it except for I'm, I'm not the biggest Bob Dylan fan then there's at the end this No, but we started out with Johnny yes. Cash so
4: how can you go wrong? Yes, along you there? did,
3: but then at the end you got you got the Bob Dylan cover of Ring of Fire which is either either yeah, you yeah. like it or you don't and I I'm, I'm not a fan so you know.
4: I I'm, I'm I have no hate for Dylan, I don't like that version mm-hmm. of that song. Yeah,
3: it's, it's pretty not not very good. And end a film like that, and it kind of it's like uh, I've I've covers and and many many films, and if you want to tug at my heartstrings, it, it doesn't get any better than if you if you've seen the Judge with Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Duvall, what Willie Nelson does a cover of the Scientist by Coldplay, which I'm not a big Coldplay fan, but when Willie Willie Nelson sings that song, I, especially the way that film ends, I was like, man, fuck you, Willie Nelson. You know, it's, it it, it yeah. tugs at the, tugs at the yeah. heartstrings, you know.
4: I always feel like this movie should have ended – because it ended in Vegas, it should have ended with Elvis. Yes,
3: indeed. <laughs> and I, I, lo- I mean, start out with Johnny Cash and end up with Elvis, and you have my heart. Some of the best stuff in this movie, like the little side stuff, like she starts talking about why she wanted to go to Vegas, and it involved Anne margaret And when she got finally got to live her dream of going to Vegas, uh-huh. he, there was, there was a the picture. picture of Ann-Margaret that was autographed, and yeah. you know, that, that was a nice touch to the movie – and I'm, I'm a- It was, which
4: I love Anne Margaret. And I was really angered yesterday, I think it was. I was watching this Watch Mojo top 10 iconic redheads list. And she didn't even get an honorable She wasn't, not only was she not on the list, she didn't even get an honorable That's mention. Crazy. And I was pissed. <laughs> I was angry. Um, and so that was kind of funny that that ended up popping in right there. And I was like, Oh, look, Anne margaret Well,
3: that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen movies where, you know, brothers have gone at it before and like about, about random things. And so I've never seen quite seen a movie like this, which I guess was what, what brings me back to it. Or I've never seen a situation come up that, as as it does in this movie, you know, where you got two brothers who just don't like each other, you know? And then he proves that in the, in the worst way by, Boff and his wife on their on their wedding day you know like I can't remember my brother it's so so laced I'm just gonna go bang his new bride and be done with it you know and just walk away like nothing happened <laughs> oh my god but yeah this movie to me, as a it's it's, it's 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 worth your time if you've never seen it before I I, I can understand if you wouldn't go back to it though as one of those things where I like it but it might necessarily necessarily be the next five guys cup of tea and I, I can respect that i guess i'll start with you jamie uh what is your ratings for uh feeling minnesota
4: Hmm. for this one i mean it was very competently made it looked great the performances were great i really like the story i just felt like i said like it was a little overindulgent it was a little long um so i'm gonna say this is an
3: eight what no i'm sorry
4: I said I'm gonna say this is an eight.
3: Okay. And you're even more generous than I was. I am gonna say it's a seven because you know it's
4: well I almost said seven and then I was like, Oh
3: do, do
4: people are people gonna think I only give seven. No, no, <laughs> no.
3: I, I do it often, so don't worry about it. I don't wanna call it middle of the road. But it would just there is a lot of competency here.
4: I mean, on a technical level, you know, I think it's very well made. So that gives it a little a little bit of a boost.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, 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 uh, I can't agree with the eight because, like I said, I, I got to look at it at a critical standpoint. it is a great film. It's a great film to watch. But the stuff that to take can take you out of the film is is what hurts it. So, yeah, I'm right there with a seven. And uh, yeah, if you guys find it, you know, cheap, I'd say go or, or watch it. You know, if you've never seen it before, go see Denofrio go off the rails. Like you guys, we love to see Denofrio go off the rails, and and I'm one of those guys. You know. <laughs> There's there's no crime that man is uh, probably committed to me and as far as film goes, as far as his performance goes, which you know, m- mind blown. You know when I when I was little watching Adventures in Babysitting, you know Dawson from Oh yeah, sure. Dawson yeah. from Dawson's Garage is Vincent D'Onofrio, <laughs> but he's a little more ripped in that movie. You know. Oh yeah. You watch it now, like where Where are you let yourself go, man? You know. <laughs> oh my God! But yeah, well uh yeah we'll.
4: And most recently, he was great in Jurassic World. Oh,
3: like yeah. That. See, the, the problem with, with D'Onofrio now is he plays the shithead scumbag so much, like the guy that's going to fuck you over. You expected. expect it. <laughs> <laughs> and I expected it in Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. He's pretty much typecast himself. Oh, and of course, if you, if you watch Daredevil, which, you know, what is wrong with you if you have watch watched Daredevil? He is uh, pretty vicious as that, that Wilson Fisk uh, kingpin character, you know breaking people's heads open with car doors and such you know and uh that's that's pretty nasty <laughs> but um yeah with that we'll uh, come back we'll do our last review and right after this your
6: cheating won't come the whole night through years come down.
5: sex two people who want the same thing they get in room they start to plan it's kind of like flirting you're having second thoughts
8: i'm just making a point
5: i want to see the money that's over two million dollars welcome to the family you're amongst good people here
6: a tattoo? Would you like to see it?
5: These people are serious. Johnny! He's making too much noise. Here. Put it in his mouth. Caesar is going to get the money. He's going
6: to bring it by the apartment. He's going to count it. Where's it now? It's in a case on his desk. Mine, I
5: want the money. That's what
6: I want. Lose my money. That's what I want. We'll be rich. Yeah, that's what the I want. money! All night long, I listen to the sound of money.
7: Jennifer Tilly. Gina Gershon. Joe Panagliano, oh
2: You don't want to shoot me, do you? Do you? I know you don't. Caesar,
6: you don't know. Bound. He was Caesar, oh Caesar, he made me help him. You have to help me. Oh God, oh God, he's coming. Bound from
3: 1996. Uh... Plot synopsis is this, Corky, a tough female ex-con, and her lover, Violet, concoct a scheme to steal millions of stashed mob money and pin the blame on Violet's crooked boyfriend, Caesar. I wouldn't call him that crooked, eh? I don't know. <laughs> But But, um, yeah, if you want to take point on this one, you you can go ahead and uh, give us your thoughts on it first, Jamie.
4: Okay, well, in Bound, you get to watch Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly. Tilly? <laughs> Tilly, go at it. And Joey Pants go off, he's off his nut, Um, but um, that's pretty much all you need to know. Not really. Um, (laughs) So Gina Gershon is this uh, lesbian who has just gotten out of prison, and she has gotten a job doing some renovations in an apartment building, and in the apartment next door to that is Joey Pants and Jennifer Tilly. They live there. And Jennifer Tilly, not so subtly seduces her, not subtly at all. No. And basically tells her that she wants to get out. She wants to get away from the mob and she wants her help and they have a way to get some money. And so their plan is to get this money and flee and leaving behind uh, Joey and all of his mob dealings. But I mean, it's not so easy when you're dealing with the mafia to pull one over on them. So the whole film is really just—I um, I really like this movie. I do. I—I I think that one of the things it does wrong is that it over-explains itself a little bit much. You know, there are some really unnecessary throwaway lines in there, like when Jennifer Tilly is telling Gina Gershon like what she wants to do. And then Gina's response is, Well, this is the mafia. If you're going to screw them over, you got to do it right. These people are serious. I'm like, Yeah, that's kind of a given. It's the mafia. You know, it's just there are like three or four times when there are statements that are made that I think are really obvious, but that I'm not sure why they felt the need to explain themselves. But, you know. Whatever. I think it's a little bit too explainy, but other than
3: that, you know, I don't think it, it's I don't an think interesting It was story. so uh, explaining, you know, like obvious. I think because Gina Gershon has been there, she, she's obviously working for somebody because they have this whole conversation with with Caesar when they're basically caught but not caught, you know, be, being lovers inside the living room. That mm-hmm. you know, oh, you work for such and such. He he only hires these kind. Of, he only gives jobs to these kind of people. So he assumed that she. Had been, you know, in the midst with some some bad people, because she he knew she knew the people he knew, you know, obviously. Right. So I think the fact that he explained to Jennifer Tilly about this that and the other, I think she was just too dumb to comprehend what she was trying to pull off with these 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 bad people. So basically, she basically saying, if we fuck this up, and obviously from the events that happened in the movie, you know, they didn't they, they didn't think it through all the way. Whereas you know this could happen. Here's a curveball. And guess what? It did happen, well, you know? She had, I don't think she's that
4: dumb, though. I mean, she was just there. I mean, this is after Sunny had been brought to the oblivious, apartment. Oblivious. And,
3: that, that, that's a good word, you, you know? know?
4: I don't know. I don't think so. I think it just—I think it was a couple of— t- and that was just one example, but there were actually a handful of them where they said things, and I'm like, thank you, Captain yes. Obvious. Um, but, I mean, apart from that, I, I really do— enjoy this. I think it's a fun movie. I think um Joey Pants is he's my favorite part of this yes. movie. Even though I really love I actually really like Jennifer Tilley. I don't think she's ever been a good no. actress. And this is a perfect example of her not being a good actress, <laughs> but she looks great. And uh I think her voice is a little it's a little bit grating for me but then there are people out there who think my voice is grating so what are you gonna do um i love gina grishon i always have i think she did a fantastic job here but my to me this standout performance goes to joey i mean he just is crazy you know and he plays it to the hilt and he's got the douchebaggiest haircut yes (laughs) there are so many things about this movie that just scream 90s like from the apartment to his haircut, um, that it just kind of takes me back because there was a time period when this came out that I watched it a lot. And um, this was a favorite movie of mine. And I think another interesting thing is that back then, you know, these two main characters being lesbians, that was kind of a big deal back then. I mean, it wasn't something that you saw every mm-hmm. day. You know, so that was an interesting plot point, which I thought was kind of but cool.
3: I, I love to bring up, you know, the the the, the plight of Joey Pants in this movie. Joey, Joey who, who plays a character named Caesar, who who's with this girl, this this Jennifer Tilly girl, for for you know a uh, five years supposedly. Now she she's basically playing like she's like this bored housewife who just wants something fun to do. Why, why not try to bang my my, my sexy, uh, you know, handy woman? Who's working on this this neighbor's apartment? And you know, so the whole time you know she, she's doing this, she's doing that. And, you know, I I feel that <laughs> Joey Pass is undeserving. Although he is like he is a criminal in this movie. Don't get me wrong. He he's working for some bad people, but he's <laughs> he's like sucked into all this bullshit that these women that, that this woman that he's living with this has created. You know. <laughs> And I, I kind of feel bad for him in a lot of ways, you know, because he's just he's just the guy, you know, who they never show him like be, like hanging out at a strip club or or banging some other chick. He's, he seems pretty devoted.
4: No, he actually seems to be. Yeah, I mean, he actually seems to be OK as far as she's concerned. I mean, you know, he he does do horrible things to people um, when
3: necessary. Well, yeah.
4: But I really I, I don't think that.
3: I, I mean, I agree with you, is what I'm trying to I, say. I, I love it's the scene with does. the towel, <laughs> where they got Sunny in the bathroom, and she's just like, she's like making a margarita, she just like goes, I want to get out. He goes, don't worry, I, I, I didn't use I didn't use the good towels, you know, stuff like that. Yeah,
4: he's like, why? I didn't use the good towels. Like, why would you want to leave? I
3: didn't... <laughs> stuff like that, you know. It, it uh, he pulls, he pulls the lines off so well in this movie, and all the fact that you get... Many character actors that we know now, you know, like like Christopher Maloney, who plays uh, the mob boss's son, the 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 reckless mob boss's son in this movie, who's just a giant asshole and a giant douchebag. But he plays the giant asshole, the giant douchebag so well that it just it pops out of the screen, you know. And uh,
4: he does. I also really love the scene where Sonny, uh, Sonny uh, Caesar, comes back from, with the money, and you see him just. Clean. She goes. She talks about the process. Like when he went through and washed every every piece of the money because it's covered yes. in blood in, in Sonny's blood. Because Johnny flew off of the handle and shot Sonny and got blood everywhere. So uh, this two million two million point one seven six dollars is full of blood. So he she talks about how he washes every little piece and then he hangs them up, just paper clips them all of the all over the apartment to dry, and then he irons each single one of them. Now, I think it's completely unrealistic. I don't see anyone stringing strings all over their apartment and hanging up dollar bills with paper clips like that. I just don't see anyone having the patience or the time to do that really. But it was kind of cool. You know, it was, it was a nice little visual.
3: Yeah. And the, the whole scene, I, I, I could see why he's obsessed with um, Gino, who's the main boss. And I, I love the scene, you know, we're all, we're, it's all going to come together and it gets all reservoir dogged up, basically. And in and, uh, where Gino comes, and he's, it's like the in-laws are coming over. Like, he, he has to make sure he has the right scotch. He has to make sure that the apartment's clean. He has to make sure this, that, and the other. He has to make sure that Violet's out there and in full display because, you know, this is like his trophy girlfriend, you know, that Gino is, is fond of. But, you know, not fond enough to go take her in the back and bang her or nothing, you know. Yeah, but she, he wants to make sure that she's there and that the scotch is there and, like, the whole idea. But th- this is the thing. I guess you want to make sure that his, his dollars were, were nice and clean after he found out what happened. Because there, there's, there's that great scene where um, where, where um, Johnny start, tries to show up Caesar by telling his father about this, that, and the other. And his father just looks at Caesar and basically tells him, you, you want to do me a favor, you know, you, you, you start re- to respect my son. And then Johnny, you do me a favor. You stop fucking up so much. You know, you basically earn, res- earn do do respect, do the good things to earn respect, basically. And I love that scene in that movie. And you know, mm-hmm. uh, there's 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 so much other stuff in this movie that that's that's fucking crazy. Like uh, I I I love the art of the con in this movie, where you know it's so simple, where he's so on edge from this guy coming that. All it takes for her is to break the bottle of liquor to distract him so they can get the money. And, you know, that's that's the one thing that would make it not perfect his visit, I guess, and make him scramble to go buy this liquor. (laughs) Yeah, I love their plan. I love the simplicity
4: of their plan and just the way everything unfolds. I love how, you know, he just takes it hook, line and sinker and then he's trying to find a way out because now he's going to be pinned for stealing this money from the mafia. I mean, they're going to kill him if they show up and his money's not, and their money's not there. You know, um, another character I really love is Mickey. Yeah. I think that uh, Mickey just seems like a good guy and you can kind of tell that he has this thing for Violet and like he has a soft spot for her. He would do anything for her. And then at the end, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit that I think he just, I think he loves her, you know? And he is kind of, it's almost like he saw Caesar being out of the picture as his opportunity. You know, like, oh, now, you know, violence free. And and then, you know, he didn't end up with her, which I think was kind of sad for him because I really feel like he's a good guy and he would have treated her well. You know, he probably would have treated her like a queen.
3: Yeah, he's great. He's one of those actors I know too. Uh, John P. Ryan, who I've seen in. Countless things that I can't recall. He's he's much like uh <laughs> oh, but the thing I remember the most and was if you ever seen Class in 1999, he plays uh one of the the android teachers in that movie. And He's just insane, and, and it's it's pretty awesome, you know. And um, well, another one I've seen seen is uh, uh Mike Murphy. will appreciate this. Peter Spellos plays pretty much the, his other uh his uh Geno's other muscle in the movie he's a bearded fellow in the movie. If you see him hanging around in the background a lot and he doesn't have any lines, he's just kind of there for muscle. And, you know, he's in a lot of Wynorski pictures. So I'm sure Mike Murphy would enjoy that. He's in this movie, I guess, you know, um, but, uh, there's not a whole lot to say about this film. I it's a very simple plot, you know, good girl meets girl. A girl falls in love with girl. You know, they, they, who happens to have a boyfriend who, who launders money for the mob. <laughs> and, um, they want to steal the money, you know. If by, by any means necessary, with a very simplistic plot, but a plot that works very, very well. And um, yeah, they, they're, they're, they are, Spoilers are successful in the end, and I, I don't want to give away how they're successful because it gets pretty grim there for a while. But um, that that's bound for you pretty much. Uh, anything else you want to say about the film at all, Jamie?
4: Not really i think we pretty much covered it you know i do if you haven't seen this one i do recommend it um you know it's one that i have actually been wanting to see again for a very long time and i have it on vhs and it just sort of it i don't know why but a lot of times if i have a movie on vhs i'll just it'll just it's not as easy to i don't know why it's not like it's hard um, but for some reason i just don't end up doing it but it turns out this one was on netflix so Um, there you go. There, it's readily available. There's no reason not to.
3: Great. But, uh, for Bound, uh, what is your score for Bound? One through 10. I'm going to say
4: this is, I'm going to say this is an 8.5. I, you know, I, I had very little problems with this one. Like I said, I think it was a little too explaining in some parts. But, um, you know, I don't know. I love movies about – I have a soft spot for movies about the mom. And Joey Pants is fantastic. Yes. He yes, really he is. is. And um, Jennifer Tilly is looking hot. And so is Gina. So, you know, I don't know. I thought it was pretty fun. It's, it's simple. I mean, this, I think the, the story is, is fairly a simple one. It's pretty straightforward. But, you know, that doesn't mean it can't be good.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I forgot to mention this, but I, I love like, the – the noir style, kind of it doesn't really shine through, but there's, there's little, there's little specks of it in this movie and I can, I can appreciate that. And, um, but for, for my score, as far as it goes, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with an eight. It's, 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 it's not the perfect film, Like you mentioned, it, it gets way too explain. Like the, now let me break down the plot for you. And this was Kevin, of, that's going to happen. So I guess that, that hurts the film, but not by a lot. I mean, this is made by the Wachowskis, who gave you the Matrix and stuff like that. So that's a big departure from the, that material. So I guess this is a this is a big difference from that. But I I, I respectfully give it an eight. Uh, although this this and like Wild Things was I guess what we call in most of my guys who didn't have pornography and their 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 spank bank. I guess you would call it. You know, back in the day. I forgot to mention that, you know, but that, that was rain true with a lot of my, uh, a lot of the guys that I ran with, they, they would go to bound. Oh, did you see bound? Did you see what they do at bound? they forget all about the crime aspect? And the, and the thing. <laughs> well, it was a pretty sexy yes, scene. Yes, it was. It was a very sexy scene. It,
4: <laughs> yes. Yes, it and was.
3: I, I will <laughs> be in agreement with, with all the fellas that say that. Cause you, uh, I'll say it. I make the excuse all the time. I'm only a man, you know, and, uh, I'll look at these things like, yep. Uh, if I see a nice girl walking down the street, I won't, I won't smack her in her ass, but I, I will, I will admire a, a, a nice piece every once in a while. Like, wow, they they grew you pretty well, didn't they? You know, and but uh, I I'm respectful enough not to, you know, try to get a piece, I guess you would call it, you know. But uh, I I'll, I'll leave it at that. And, and if anything, I didn't say anything. Uh, anti-Semitic this episode. I didn't say anything. Well, I kind of said something a sexist episode, so I apologize for that. And uh, I didn't insult any witches, though, so I got that on my side. So, but uh, with that... Well, hey, it's baby steps. Ba- baby steps, I know, right? Uh, with that, well, uh, we'll be back soon to close out the show. The following message is a paid advertisement for the Cult of
7: Muscle podcast. The Cult of Muscle. You're either in it or you're dead. No. It's the dawning no. of a new the halls of Valhalla have been shuttered. The heroes of yore have either retreated to the shadows or taken to capering for the amusement of the small folk. Their past glories is a distant memory. The barbells have been torn from their once puma strong grips. The beards shone from their square jaws, only to be transplanted onto flannel-clad puny weaklings with fingers barely powerful enough to strum a ukulele. The time has come, my brothers, to restore order from the chaos. No longer will our heroes be forgotten. No longer will their great deeds be viewed through a foggy lens of irony. Hear now our rallying cry as we scream it from the mountaintops. As we bellow it from iTunes and Libsyn and Facebook. It's time to join the cult, my brothers. So don your cloaks and enter the cult of
0: you know those old-time radio shows with the married couples who bicker about the kids and the car and the neighbors our podcast is a lot like that
8: yeah well if you replace the kids the car and the neighbors with devil movies theology and vodka my name is x And I'm Cootie. And we are the
0: hosts of Kiss the Goat, a different kind of movie podcast.
8: Every episode, we review a devil movie. You know, possessions, exorcisms, the Antichrist, and we stomp a mud hole in it, even if we like it.
0: We are huge fans of comparative religion, and we love to compare real belief systems with what Hollywood seems to think belief systems are.
8: But don't think we're not civic-minded, because each episode includes our Satan in the News segment, where our fearless correspondent, Sin Fallon, documents the eternal struggle between good and evil. And,
0: as high-functioning alcoholics, we give every movie its own drinking game, so that you can enjoy the movie just like we did. Ripped to the tits.
8: <laughs> and there is ever so much more to the show than that. And let me tell you, it ain't for kids. Hell, it ain't for most adults. <sighs> but it might be for you. You won't know until you
0: listen to Kiss the Goat exclusively on the Legion network of podcasts. That's Kiss the Goat. We're the lighter side of the dark side. <laughs>
2: Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, the Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms, to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The podcast Under the Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under the Stairs, signing off.
7: (gasps) My films! Oh, gimme, gimme, gimme! Ah, Chinema.
8: Porkies? Meatballs, too? Enjoy your crap fest. (laughs) Oh,
1: go read the bell jar, you poser! Klaus? Prepare to feast your eyes on the majestic grandeur of the silver screen.
6: Saturday
7: night at the movies, Kiss meets the Phantom. In 1978, when disco was on top, I'm making it. these to guys it. partied to a different beat.
8: Hours <laughs> yeah.
7: no <more>. no <laughs> from now, we're actually
0: gonna be seeing Kiss, baby. Don't you know what Kiss stands for? Knights in Satan service. We just watched Jam's mom torch our kiss
5: tickets. Nobody's missing that concert tomorrow
7: night. We're not slim with Mom's car. Damn right we are. The paint. Oh. Yeah.
8: The night is young, filled with possibilities. Yes. The- oh. Hey, you little corpse. Give me a kiss ticket, or I'll pop
7: your faces in. Kiss sucks.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
6: You're the
3: coolest.
7: Detroit Rock City.
3: It's a girl walking along the side of the highway. We should pull over and help her out. I mean, they, they make scary movies that start out like that. Hey, but, but they make porno movies that start out
7: like that too, man. You one of the best. You got the best. An all-new Scooby-Doo original movie. The legendary rock and roll band KISS. The Star Child. The Demon. The Catman. The Spaceman meets the legendary dog. I'm here for the funnel cake. Witch! Get me the hottest mystery solvers in the world.
5: Like that was well done.
7: Yeah, and so are we. I think we're going to need these kids to catch that witch.
0: You'll never stop me. Kiss needs our help. Like I'm no guitarist, but I can play a mean armpit.
7: <laughs> when the earth is threatened, this gang Soinks! will have to rock your world.
2: We'll have this
0: case licked in no time. Now it's just a matter of setting a trap. Who's going to be the bait? You are. How is it that you and I have to do the hard part?
7: Just lucky, I guess. Scooby-Doo and Kiss. Rock and roll mystery.
1: Come on, guys. These special effects cost money.
7: Look for it on DVD and digital HD.
3: Yeah, you guys here are here first. Uh, the next episode we're going to do is uh, that Magical Kiss episode where we uh, cover that Scooby-Doo movie that they put out recently along with Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park from the, from the 70s and Detroit Rock City, which is more of a Kiss-like love-love uh, fan film, basically, if you guys like that kind of thing. Edward Furlong was still relevant back in those days, so check it out. Next time, guys, uh, the self-proclaimed hottest band in the world will be the star of the show. But uh, my star of the show, Jamie Jenkins, uh, thanks for joining me, and thanks for being my new co-host, girl.
4: Well, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun, and I can't wait to do the next one.
3: Great. And uh, if you have anything going on, uh, now it's time to uh, push your stuff, honey.
4: Well, um, hmm, uh, there's Direct-to-Video Connoisseur. That's every Wednesday at 8 um, on uh, Mixler.com forward slash second dash – unit and we talk about a lot of action films but other stuff too and you can check us out live every Wednesday and other than that uh, Evil Episodes look for evilepisodes.com if you want to hear us talk all about what's going on on TV as far as horror is concerned and I, I haven't done much with Devour lately so and of course Skeleton Crew we're on a little bit of a hiatus right now so that's pretty much it. Okay.
3: Yeah. You can always find me here with Jamie Jenkins, of course. And, uh, you can find me on two drink room commentaries where you could watch and, and listen to some of your favorite films as me and the fellows just talk shit all the way through them. And, uh, you guys seem to like that kind of thing. Uh, you can find me on the uh, sloppy seconds, the movie sequel podcast with, uh, Eric Bergstrom on the horror network. You guys check that out there. Uh, only show I do that's not on Legion actually, so everything else I do is on Legion. Uh, the bird in the beard may be coming back uh, soon, I hope. It it's it's really all up to her whenever she's uh she's got a lot going on. She's she's just uh, got a couple jobs acting and she's always modeling and you know, the bird the bird's busy. And uh, I can respect that for a young lady who's uh on the go, I guess, you know. But um have yeah, besides that, there's not a whole lot going on with me. Uh come join the Facebook group. If you uh, rate and review any of those shows on iTunes, I, I notice you can you can rate stuff on the Legion feed, and if you guys happen if I happen to see you guys rate something there for for the commentary show, I'll uh, put your name in a hat to to win some some tasty autographs that I've procured from conventions over the over the past couple of years that are pretty much extras, you know these real, real folks that I met, uh, Danny Trejo, uh, Jeffrey Combs, Charles Band, and uh, yeah, you guys could win one of those three or Maybe a couple of other fabulous prizes. You know, if you guys play in the Bozo Buckets, get that, that Bucket One prize, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, but, but with all that, um, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Uh, this has been Sin beef Podcast. We're here. If you've got beef, we've got the grinder. See you later. <laughs>